This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. Uh, this is the podcast where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And this is the way that you could actually ask me questions as well, and I could be your consultant. I could be America's safety consultant. So today we're actually going to go over something that I've long said is one of the main ways that you could uh, either introduce yourselves to a company or a way for you to to pretty much um, have some income through training. So this way is by the OSHA outreach programs, the 10 and the 30 hour outreach. So I'm going to spend this episode kind of going over the program requirements themselves that is uh, as of, let's see, it's effective April 1st, 2019, and as this day of recording in uh, July the 3rd, 2021, it's still effective. So this is the most recent revision for the training requirements. So we're going to kind of go over some of the do's and don'ts on this one as far as requirements and then also uh, the significance that this program can have for you as a safety consultant. So let's just hang in there and uh, we're going to go ahead and learn what we could do as far as being an OSHA outreach trainer. For those of you that are outside of the U.S., uh, OSHA outreach training is not available for you. Unless there's like a really, really mitigating circumstances on that one. Uh, So therefore, uh, you may have to find an equivalent in your country. However, many people like the the OSHA model in different countries. So therefore, uh, there are probably going to be things in here that you guys could use as well. All right. Well, without any further ado, since it's just me, let's go ahead and let's uh, get into this one. All right, so the training requirements from OSHA, and this is truly if you want to be an OSHA trainer. So there's many people who can be OSHA train authorized trainer. Uh, so one of the first things we're going to just briefly talk about is who can be an authorized trainer, as well as, you know, just the program requirements, right? So in order to be an authorized trainer, it's actually um, a process, right? So the process itself is several fold, uh, but before we get to that, let's go and uh, let me tell you the areas that you could get your, your training in. So OSHA has 10 and 30 hour classes available in construction, general industry, maritime, and disaster site workers. So those industries, those activities they can get a OSHA 10 and 30 hour training. The 10 and 30 hour OSHA says that these trainings are not compliance training. They're awareness training, meaning you can't offer this service and then go ahead and say that this is going to meet OSHA's regulation for X because that's not allowed. Uh, the 10 and 30 hours when you're quoting this or you're going to start using this, uh, that's one of the things that you should not um, go ahead and try to add in there saying, oh, yeah, well, not only am I going to teach you the 10 and 30 hour and you're going to get your OSHA cards and your Department of Labor cards, but 
it's also going to meet your your OSHA requirements for lockout tagout. It's going to meet your OSHA requirements for uh, electrical safety training. Now, actually, OSHA plainly says that this isn't uh, for compliance. It's really just for uh, awareness factors. So now that you know the four areas that OSHA is going to be looking at, uh, I'm going to tell you just a brief process on uh, what you need to do to be an authorized trainer. So first, you're going to have to pick your your poison, if you will, (laughs) meaning uh, I want general industry or I have more experience in general industry. I have more experience in construction, maritime, disaster site worker. So once you, you have that, then you're going to have to take the first class, and I'll just do construction uh, just so it will help you out. So the first class will be the Construction 510, and it's an OSHA-numbered class. So you have to do that one first, and then you have to take the OSHA 500. So once you do the OSHA 500, then at that point, you'll be able to to do the, well, that is the train the trainer one, the 500 number series. When you're done with that and you successfully complete that one, then what that means is now you can be an authorized OSHA instructor. Prices change, so I can't really give you the prices to do this, but I would kind of bank on uh, at least 500 US uh, dollars to do both courses. In some cases, it'll be more, but right around there, it's going to be uh, probably what you're looking for. I remember my first one was 700, so it's a possibility that it may be as high as that, depending on uh, who you choose to be your OSHA outreach person. Uh, so there are OSHA outreach training programs, and you don't have to go to one that's closest to you. You could go to one anywhere, but you just basically uh, have to pick one <laughs> so you can't do uh, several so that's the uh, the the ground rules with that one so let's go over the changes that this um 2016 version of doing the actual osha outreach and how to do it and everything else and then when you become authorized what you need to do with that uh, there's a whole bunch of rules so you really want to go in on the osha.gov website you want to just look for 10 and 30 hour training and the document heading that you're going to be looking for is OSHA training program requirements. So if you're on that page, then, or I should say in that document, then we are together on the same page of uh, where we need to be. So when this thing first came out or the changes first happened, one of the big things that was um, affected a lot of people is OSHA stopped a grace period for trainers. They used to allow if you forgot your uh, to update your training that you could go ahead, ask for a grace period. And then, uh, well, actually, you didn't even need to ask. It was there. You'd have a grace period up to I think it was. 90 days, if I recall right, to get your act together and get your your paperwork in, and you actually needed to take an updated class. So for construction, it would be the uh, 502 or 503, I think it is, um, one of those classes, and uh, and. 
something. <laughs> I can't remember right now, but really what it is, it's an um, construction update class, and you have to do that every three years. So if you've missed your time period from when you're, you expire, that's it. You're going to have to start over and go through the whole process, pay all that money again for, for those courses that you needed to take. So that one's a little tough, but it's in the rules. If you do let your license or your authorization expire, I shouldn't say license authorization, then you cannot give a class. Obviously, they don't want you doing classes where you could have alcohol served. And they really uh, want to make sure for every two consecutive hours of training, there's a 10 minute break and you must do that. So that's a big one for the rules. You could only have training for seven and a half hours, but you could do administrative work and other things. And your max time would be 10 hours consecutive. So other than that, uh, well, generally what you're going to be doing at that point is you're going to like break it up where you have your breaks, administrative time, everything else. But you got to keep watching your clock and, and just make sure that you don't go over, especially on the um, uh, the break time. Uh, it's what will happen is when you're writing out your hours, because you need to verify your hours when you submit um, your information to make sure that the the people that took your class will get their certificate or get their OSHA cards. So you got to do this right, right? So in those cases, you want to really make sure that you're going to log your own time as you're uh, conducting your class. So that's a, a good thing to remember. All right. So I'm going to go through some of the headings and some of the things that you'll find in this document. It's a 38 page document. But this one is, again, for the training requirements. Uh, so first, they tell you that you have to be, you have to see the words authorized trainer as opposed to certified because OSHA doesn't certify anyone, even though you may hear often someone say something like, oh, yeah, I have my OSHA certification in 10 or 30 hour training. No, you are authorized to do these trainings. So it's a big difference to OSHA. When you're actually going to be going through your um, your training to become an authorized ocean inspector, they will on the second class, not the preliminary class that you need to do, the prerequisite class, they won't really tell you anything except just having you learn the lessons that you need to learn for that class. Uh, but when you do the trainer class, the train-to-trainer ones, they will give you uh, some hints and material and other things that you're going to need to help you facilitate your class. So that's going to be good. So even though OSHA is telling you things in the program guidance, your OSHA, your OSHA training institute, they're actually going to give you some resources for this as well. So let's get into what your your actual um, rules are. And I'm only going to, I can't read the whole document, obviously, because it's 38 pages. But what I will do is just point out some of the things that that are frequent that I, I know that, man, I see this thing all the time <laughs> happening. 
So one of the things that I do see is that um, for, let's say, inappropriate behavior for for instructors, maybe even lack of professionalism, um, I don't see the lack of professionalism meaning the instructor is doing something that they think is just in jest. However, you could see everyone cringe either in a room or in an office or wherever they're saying whatever they're saying. That would be inappropriate behavior or lack of professionalism. And it could lose you your actual OSHA authorization to teach. So you got to be careful for that. If the classroom setting that you choose to have uh, your actual training is not suitable for learning, such as in a bar or in a residence or something else, that in itself is going to invalidate your training. So that's something else to look for. If you have ever been convicted of a felony, you may be subject to, and I'm going to read this, corrective action, including uh, suspension or revocation, meaning they're going to revoke your license or revoke your authorization. See, even I have to keep saying not license. It is authorizations. So it's possible that they can do that as well. And it says prior to felony convictions, uh, prior, excuse me, felony convictions does not automatically preclude a prospect trainer from attending a training course or seeking individual training status. But if you are actually uh, training and now you get convicted of something like that, then your your authorization is in jeopardy. If you don't handle your payments right for any kind of tuition reimbursement or anything in a professional manner, this can also affect you. So let's uh, talk about this one real quick. So I'm going to read this one for you. It says, this includes failing to reimburse full course tuition and fees within five business days of canceling a class. Or if a trainer reschedules to cancel the class, excuse me, uh, if the trainer reschedules the cancel class, failing to reimburse full course tuition and fees to each student that does not affirmatively agree within 10 business days of the class cancellation to attend the rescheduled class. So that means you can lose your, your authorization if you don't handle the money right. <laughs> so you can't even handle the money right in order for you to, to keep everything up. Uh, you can't double schedule, and you definitely need to make sure that you are monitoring your actual time. I'm going to say that one again because OSHA really, really is strict on this one. All right, so let's also uh, go through some of the things that are low-hanging fruit for OSHA. I've done. Um, I've actually done. Uh, an audit of a, a class before for what's called the O-T-E-I-C or O-T-I-E-C, excuse me, which is OSHA training, uh, O-T-I-E, yeah, OSHA Training Institute Education Center. It's, man, there's so many acronyms in safety. I just got to get, get all these acronyms, uh, but that is it. So with your O-T-I's, and that's just um, short for, you know, 
OSHA Training Institute. When you do have those, you know, they really need you to to, uh, to make sure everyone's in attendance from moment one to the last sentence, the goodbyes, the uh, shaking of hands. They cannot miss anything or else you're going to have to make up that work later on. The contact hours that they're calling student contact hours, here's what it includes. So there's some people that want to get really, let's say, creative. <laughs> that might be the best way to put it with contact hours. So let's go ahead and I'll read this one for you. Student contact hours refer to time spent covering course content. Student contact hours does not include breaks for meals or other breaks or time spent on administrative matters such as taking attendance and administrating optional tests. And here you go, optional test. They wrote, they have that word in, in several different ways. You don't have to have a test for doing your OSHA 10 and 30s. So they do say optional. However, that doesn't count towards the time. So let's say you're doing a 10-hour class and you're literally writing down 10 hours on your form because you do have to do a form to submit and you allocate your minutes. If you allocate a 10-hour class and it's exactly at 10 hours, then that means you're not um, you're not putting in any time for breaks. You're not putting in any time for uh, any kind of administrative. So generally what you would do, let's say you're holding a class and you're doing it um, 8 to 3.30. So at this point, um, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12, that's four hours, one Two, three is going to give you your seven hours, and then three and a half, meaning 3.30, is going to give you your seven and a half hours of contact time, okay? So you want to make sure you guys are following this one. So let's say you have seven and a half hours of contact time. In there, you would have some breaks. You would have lunch. Uh, you may have some administrative time for doing a uh, roll call. That means you're, when you submit your time for that day, your start time would be 8, but you could actually extend your end time. can't be any longer than 10 hours, but you could extend that time to be 9 uh, hours, meaning instead of um, uh, 3.30, which would give you your 7.5 uh, 4.30 would be 8.5, so that means if you go till 5, then that is going to say 9 hours. That will include your lunch and all that other stuff. So you're, you're, when you're writing down your, your time, you should actually put in all that time, including breaks and everything else, to be your, your complete time of class. Another thing that you're going to see that a lot of people try to get over or used to, now they don't do this anymore because all the instructors know, but they try to squeeze in a full 10-hour class in one day. <laughs> and then they're done. All right, let's get all this 10 hours in, and then we don't have to worry about this OSHA thing for the rest of the week. You can't do that one either. Seven and a half hours is the max, so that means you need at least two calendar days for the 10 and at least four calendar days for the 30 hour. Uh, no way around that one. You got to have it. So that's uh, one of the, the keys there. Uh, if anybody misses 
uh, you do have to, they do have a time frame that they could come back and, you know, make up uh, the, the time. I believe it's six months. I've got it here. I should look. It is six months. Okay. And the wording is OSHA training class must be completed within six months of the start date. So that's good. Uh, one of the things that you can do, if you did not know, is you can actually do your training and you could do it in smaller increments, uh, intervals. So therefore, uh, you can actually have a minimum of 30 minutes and that's it. So let's say you want to just do your 10 hours, 30 minutes at a time, because every morning you could do, um, let's say you could do a tailgate meeting. That's one of truly everyone should know this, but in case you don't, a tailgate meeting is, uh, when you are at the tailgate of a truck and everyone goes over what you're about to do. So that's the tailgate meeting. So you could do, if you wanted to, 20 <laughs> tailgate meetings, half hour each, and you'll still be good as long as you get this done within six months of when you started day one. Uh, so that's the key. For the classroom style, generally OSHA will tell you how they, they prefer styles, but they don't want you to do too much video. They like you to mix up the media, so you could do uh, presentation style, you could do question and answer, you could do um, having people look at uh, situations, and you could do case studies, that's okay, but OSHA doesn't want you sitting in front of the video, uh, YouTube or something, and then go ahead and let everybody just watch the videos and you collect the cash. I'm not a fan of that one, OSHA does not like that, so they say 25% is your max of video for classroom time. So you're going to have to figure out what that means to you as far as 25%, a quarter of the time. So I would imagine that's two and a half hours, right? Would be what we're looking at. That's a long time for videos, but I guess if you're looking over a full 10 hour, because you're only going to be doing like, what, 10... 15 minutes max at a time. Yeah, so therefore, can't do a video heavy. How's that? Once you have your students and you're done, uh, you're actually going to need to submit these things and uh, send it off to um, your, your OTI. Uh, very quickly. So OSHA wants to make sure that uh, within 30 days of a class that you're going to go ahead and submit uh, everything that, that was, uh, was done so that, uh, that everyone gets credited. Uh, I forgot one thing. Let me, let me go back with, with one thought uh, that I, I kind of forgot to, to mention before. Um, when you do your your actual OSHA classes and uh, you're supposed to go ahead and do this training, OSHA really wants you to do it by itself. Like, uh, for instance, I do a 10-hour class, but it's a component of a larger class. Uh, you're allowed to do this. However, OSHA says you could do this in a certain way. So um, this one I do want to mention on the standalone one. All right. So 
The standalone, and here's the wording, OSHA outreach training program courses considered standalone courses and must be conducted as part and must not, excuse me, be conducted as part of or in conjunction or combination with other OSHA outreach training programs, meaning you can't do a a 10-hour construction and a 10-hour general industry in a mixed audience and combine your introduction to OSHA between the two. They don't allow for that. You have to have them separate. However, OSHA says this does not prevent organizations from developing wraparound coursework that is not part of the OSHA outreach program, meaning like what I do. I have the 10-hour, but it's only a component of a larger course. So I'm allowed to do that as long as I don't offer two OSHA outreach things at the same course. So what I would end up having to do at that point would be the introduction to OSHA twice. So who wants to do that, right? So therefore, it's going to be, you know, two different courses when you're doing that that type of setup. All right, I'm going to skip down just a little bit more. Uh, OSHA does have your training topics, so really make sure that you you do the time right for your mandatory topics and your elective topics and uh, optional topics. That's one of those things that OSHA will look for the time because it is specific time allotted. So just make sure you look for that. Some topics are ineligible to be called OSHA training. So here is one of those. Well, I'll give you all <laughs> according to OSHA. So see topics, not occupational health and safety topics that deal with hazards and prevention. They cannot be used. And this will probably be for your um, there's elective and then there's optional training. So your electives are set topics, but your optional, you can actually add other things. So CPR first aid is not allowed for the OSHA optional training part. And you must make sure training conducted to comply with OSHA standards cannot be counted towards the OSHA outreach training. Again, this is what I first mentioned in the beginning was you definitely want to make sure that you do not say in any way that this is going to get your client or potential client OSHA compliant because that's going to be uh, a different thing. However, there are some uh, states that will require that you take a 10 hour, usually it's construction in order for you to, to be able to work in their state. That's a requirement by the state, not by OSHA. So therefore, uh, you, you just want to make sure that you, you know the difference there. As a trainer, OSHA gives you plenty of resources. So you really need to go on the OSHA website and look on the Susan Harwood grant material. You can look for uh, the OSHA outreach trainer material. They give you PowerPoints. They give you uh, handouts. The introduction to OSHA is mandatory handouts that you need to do and activities. So you have to go on the OSHA website for that one as well. One of the big things that we really got to do nowadays with uh, the pandemic is you actually need to to truly understand uh, 
how to write a letter to OSHA, and it's going to be your OTIEC, and you're going to write a letter to them asking them to allow you to teach alternatively, meaning I can't teach in a classroom for a specific reason. In this case, it's pandemic related, but I can actually do this online. Here is what I need. So you have to write a letter asking permission every time you do an online training uh, to your OTI. And you're going to tell them a narrative of why you need it. You're going to tell them uh, what is going to be covered during that time period. You're going to tell them, you know, your name, give them your credentials and everything else. A copy of your trainer card is going to go in that letter and just everything. Class dates, who the client is, um, if it's an open uh, enrollment, put that in there as well. So that's some of the things that you're going to be looking to do, and you have to give yourself some time to get this approved. So I would say if you're going to do a class and it's going to be online and you know about it two months ahead, awesome. However, if you only know about it two weeks ahead, you need to submit that paperwork ASAP to your OTI and see if you can get them to, uh, to approve it. So I got a couple of little small nuances I'm going to go over to wrap this thing up because I didn't want to, uh, again, 38 pages. I'm not going to give you guys everything, but I'm just going to give you things that will really make a difference for you. So when you are advertising, there are strict restrictions on what you could say. You can't make anything deceiving in the way that people may think your class is being presented from OSHA. That one is not one that you could use. Uh, it'll get you in trouble. So make sure you do not use that one. If you do have an interpreter, this is a big one too. Some people actually need interpreters for any of their training. So I would say your interpreter has to know safety and health. That's, that's really what it is. So the, the interpreter qualification is that they have a background in safety and health. If you have an interpreter, uh, then the class must be held for twice the amount of the time to allow for adequate interpretation. So that one's the, the tricky one. So, that is pretty much the, the, the crux of everything. There's a lot of little nuances there. The minimum class size is three. Uh, you got to make sure you know that one. There's jurisdictions issue. Make sure you definitely teach within OSHA's jurisdiction. Don't have more than 40 students. And who really wants 40 students anyway, right? That's just outrageous. So those are some of the things that OSHA has for you. Sign-in sheets, all that stuff. So go through that that uh, form, and it's going to really help you guys out. All right, so that is it for me for this week. You guys could do this thing, right? I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I got gotcha. you. So if you have not, go ahead and like and subscribe to this podcast. Share it with some people, and please, if you have a chance, I would love, love, love if you were able to rate and review uh, this one as well. Thank you. Go get them. 
episode is powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Brynus. <laughs>